Hello and welcome to another podcast at Equippers Church Dunedin. Today's sermon is brought to you by Pastor Bruce Monk. Thank you. It's great to um, be in Dunedin, 75th anniversary. How about just lifting your hands if you feel free to? Don't feel as though you have to. But right now, we just invite your Holy Spirit to come among us. We know that you are the one who makes Jesus incredibly real. And we just think that we've never been left as orphans. Every single one, you come and you present yourself. You make Jesus so real. And we never, ever will take that for granted. And I pray today you will come and even be our teacher. You will cause truth to come alive in our heart. You will identify issues that can help change us. And you'll position us for more. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn around and give a couple of people a high five and then take a seat. Be good. Thank you. Yeah, just very good. It is, um, again, my joy to be here, especially with the 75th anniversary and just trying to identify something um, that I could um, say has blessed me. Uh, When I arrived in Auckland, which is just over 30 years ago, part of the church group then was a lady by the name of Riri Fusitua, who's now Riri Stevenson. And uh, she came to Christ in Dunedin Church uh, and really the formation of a Christian life, especially I think under Pastor Stan's ministry, uh, was very pivotal. They're still in the church in Auckland 30 years later, uh, real good friends of both Helen and I. And I just think, you know, there's that, that people like Riri all around the world uh, that have come out of this church and really over the years have been really blessed, Christ being formed in their life through the different ministries that have taken place. And, uh, you know, that, that's what you look at in church life. You look at people who, where, where they find Jesus. For Riri, she found Jesus here. It was a crucial point. She'd been religious up to that point, but she found the reality of who Jesus is and it changed her life. And, uh, you know, you just think the number of people who found Jesus in this church who now are positioned in different places in New Zealand around the world, um, only God knows, really. And I think that's amazing. Amen. So pat yourself on the back if you're part of the church and say, wow, (laughs) that's good. Very good. What I want to do today is um, I probably say this as a pastoral sermon. Because uh, I want to help people, especially in the navigation of their Christian life. And I think a lot of things, especially as a preacher, come out of your own journey, what God does for you and how God's revealed himself at uh, crucial points in your life, what's really worked. And this message is really has, it's come out of uh, my journey with Christ over numbers of years and really... Uh, in a way, just uh, how God's helped to strengthen who I am as a person, find my identity, but become secure and become, in a way, protected uh, in my life. And so what I want to do is uh, just take you on a journey with four scriptures, and then I want to illustrate. So if you just uh, have a Bible you might like to, it's going to go up on the screen, turn to the epistle of John, 3 John, and verse 2. Uh, no chapters in 3 John, just verses. And uh, just as a Powerful scripture. I believe this is really what creates a healthy church as well as a healthy person. 
And uh, we've got to really work on creating that environment so that we can um, just know health and, and well-being. But it just said, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things. And that's part of God's journey for your life is that you, you really know how to prosper in all things. God's interested in, your, in you as a person. God's interested if you're married. God's interested in your children. God's interested in your career. God's interested in your church life. Some people have often identified uh, life as a wee bit like a, a, a ladder. So God's at the top, and then they say, you know, then you, then your marriage, and then this, and then that, and that. I actually see it more like God, uh, my life's like a wheel, Jesus is in the center. And God's interested in my relationship with my wife. He's interested in my relationship with my children. He's interested in my relationship with church. He's interested in the call of God. And if I get all those things working, my, my life has momentum. It's working together. But sometimes we see, oh, no, no, you know, we, we put it in layers. I don't put it in layers. I see God's interested in everything, and he wants my life to get momentum in it. And all those things are going to work together. I think God smiles when I have a day off and go fishing. So I never feel guilty. I feel blessed. Amen. Because that's just part of the wheel. Keeps my life in harmony. Keeps me working. And I, I believe we've got to get life in a way working, momentum building. And I've always been good at protecting that. So it says, I pray that you may prosper in, say it, say with it, prosper in all things, not just some things, all things, and be in health. God's interested in your health, and uh, I'm not a doctor, but just from what I've read and what I, uh, Dr. Don over here, probably very are, but he's a pastor as well, and so, but, you know, they actually say a lot of our medical conditions come out of our emotional well-being, a lot, uh, and, and I believe it's important that we keep our emotional, our soul health good, because that'll affect our physical health. And a lot of people are, are, are basically in physical having physical problems because they haven't looked after their soul. And it says, just as your soul prospers, the soul of every one of us is our thinking, our feeling, and our willing, right? So it's our thinking, our willing, and our feeling. Those are, that's what makes up your soul. It's really the expression of who you are. And so when you look at life, God, God wants to renew your soul. He wants to change your soul because that's the area before you become a Christian that, uh, that sometimes is a little fragile. You get fragile. You know, the world causes us to become fragile, sometimes in the way we think, sometimes in our feelings, what's happened to us in life, rejection, hurt, whatever, and that has an impact on us. But God wants to work on that. The next scripture I want you to turn to is found in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. This is a powerful scripture. It gives us an understanding of what takes place when you make a commitment to Christ. I believe we need to make that commitment. You don't grow into Christ. You make a commitment to become a follower of Jesus. Just because you've been born in church doesn't mean you're a Christian. Amen. Uh, what we need to see is there needs to become a point where we make a commitment to become a follower of Jesus. And uh, it's important we identify that. But in 1 Peter chapter um, 
1 verse 23, it just talks about having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And so it identifies, it says there are two seeds. One's a corruptible seed. The other is an incorruptible seed. The moment you make an, a commitment to Christ, what happens is this incorruptible seed actually comes into your life. No one can destroy it. It's incorruptible. And, and it's like the, the presence of God's word comes and abides inside you. And the power of that is so that God can change our life from the inside out. What religion does is it wants to change you from the outside in. And so it says, if you do this, you'll get that. If you do this, this will happen to you. So it's all about rules and laws and ethics. And, and it's trying to change people from the inside out. But what, what it leaves you and I thinking is we can never live up to it. And it leaves us condemned rather than free because you can never live to the standard of God without, this, without the presence of God. You can't do it in your humanity. Every single one of us will live condemned. And sadly, some people come into church feeling happy and go out condemned because they haven't really touched the, this incorruptible seed of God's word to change their humanity from the inside out. And religion, what it does, and we've got to be careful, even as Pentecostal Christians, that we don't start off, but then actually go back to law where we're trying to live our life from the outside in rather than letting God change us from the inside out. Amen? So this is an incorruptible seed. Re read um, some years ago about uh, the pyramids in Egypt, and they actually say, you know, 4,000 years. I'm not sure exactly how long they've been there. I have heard, but forgotten. But they actually went into them and found seed. And they took some of the seed, brought the seed out, put it in an environment, planted it, and nurtured it, and it grew. But for 4,000 years, it had been in an environment where it was locked up. And the environment wasn't set for it to grow. And I often think that's true of a lot of Christians is that they get, they make a commitment to Christ, but in a way, they're like a pyramid. There's something inside them, but it's never nurtured. It's never looked after. And they, they, they head off in this Christian journey with a whole lot of promises, but never find the promises becoming a reality because they've never known how to nurture and, and create an environment for this incorruptible seed to actually grow. Because in this incorruptible seed is, is your destiny. It's your future. It's the gifts that God's designed for you. Everything lies in this incorruptible seed. And you can start out before you become a Christian. I started out just wanting to be a multimillionaire. That's all I thought I wanted to be. I just wanted to be rich. And then this, I, I, I get saved, go on this journey with God, and God interrupts my journey and says, no, no, I don't want you to be a millionaire. Would have been nice to be a millionaire, but he didn't want me to. But... It didn't, in a way, it wasn't cringe. Something came alive in me the moment I started to link in with my destiny and the purposes of God. Something came alive in me. In fact, I, I just don't want, like I like money in the sense I want it. But it doesn't rule me like it used to. Is there to serve what God wants to do? And I think, think what we've got to see is God, you start off in life, but when God's got the seed starts to come alive, it can change your future. Amen. The third scripture is I found in Isaiah chapter 60. 
So I'm laying the foundation with the Word of God, and then I want to illustrate, and I've got some pretty little chairs up here, which is pretty good. How many like my chairs? <laughs> Willie's going to come and sit in this one. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> uh? no, no, this one. Which, which colour is you, Willie? <laughs> okay. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter uh, 60, it really now creates... The, 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 um, the, the area that I want to speak into. It's a, it's a good scripture, and I can remember God speaking to me from the scripture many years ago, and it helped me to form something that actually built strength into my life. And so verse 18, it just says, um, you should call your walls, the latter part of the scripture, you should call your walls salvation and your gates praise. And if you followed the American election last year, I'm not being political, but uh, one man in his campaign says, we will build a wall. How many remember that? And uh, we're going to keep what? Who out? The Mexicans out. And we're going to have a gate. And this gate's going to be strong. And you're going to have to have your papers right if you want to get entry into America. Forget forget about the political uh, ramifications of all that and your view on it. I'm not really worried, but it's a great illustration. Because what he was really saying is we're going to protect America. We're going to build a wall. And we're going to have a gate to control what comes in and what goes out. And really what Isaiah is saying is walls are like salvation and gates are like praise. And what God wants to do in your life, he's got this incorruptible seed, just imagine it, that dwells in your life. But at the moment, without a wall to protect it, that incorruptible seed is exposed. It's exposed to everything that's happening in your world. And that's why sometimes as Christians or believers, we can actually feel very vulnerable because it's almost like we we love God, we want to serve God, but we feel as though we're also failing. Does anyone ever feel they failed? Come on, put your hand up if you feel you failed. If you haven't, I'd probably say you might be lying because I think we all fail. We all miss the mark somewhere. And what we've got to do is, is religion wants to hide that, but what... Christ wants to do is he wants to help you in it. He never condemns. He actually gives you the grace to change things in your life you could never change yourself. That's, that's the Jesus we follow. He never condemns you. He never pushes you down. He wants to lift you up and he wants to help you in the areas of your vulnerability. And the way he does that is he helps us build walls that are not seen but they're called walls of salvation. They're there to protect us. They're there to protect us from the things, the forces that are around us so that we can actually live out of the in, uh, the, this incorruptible seed that God's placed in our life. And we live in a world where there are a lot of pressures, and I believe today we need to teach the, uh, God's people how to stand. Amen? We need to, because there's pressures everywhere. Um, I, I travel a lot. I'm not sure how many countries I've been into this year, but a lot, probably 12 different countries all around the world. And what I identify in my travels is the world is insecure. Right now, there's a lot of hopelessness. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of people feeling vulnerable. And I believe it's time for the Christian church, God's people to rise up and be Jesus to a broken humanity. We're the ones that can bring hope. Politicians are not going to bring hope. 
You can see that right now in England. You can see it in America. Uh, the, 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 the world is under pressure. And uh, I, I think, you know, one man said, you know, if you look at what's happening in the world uh, right now, everywhere, it's actually not a good time to consider backsliding. <laughs> It's actually a good time to think about, wow, how do I get myself strong? Because right now the world is under pressure and we need to know how to stand in Christ and uh, we need to know how to position ourselves into what God's called us to do. And so I, th- this scripture to me is powerful. Uh, if you go on now to uh, the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is a powerful book and the book of Nehemiah now builds on this the, the, this premise that I've uh, talked about, walls and gates. So going back, God from the beginning in 3 John talks about how he wants you and I to prosper in all things. How many like that? How many would like to prosper in all things? I, I think you know, you'd be wise to have your hand up. <laughs> um, God wants us to, to prosper in all things. And he talks about that prosperity is not just linked to your belief in Christ. It's actually linked to the well-being of your soul. So you can believe in Jesus, but actually be destitute. You can live a very, uh, a life, that, a Christian life that's up and down. And there's a lot of Christians who have a sincere belief but if they look at it and they were to analyze their Christian life, they actually feel very vulnerable. They feel very broken. Now, I'm here to help you. I'm here to minister into that because I don't believe that was ever God's intent. He never wanted people to have a faith and a belief that never changed them. And so that's what happens. So when you give your heart to Jesus, there's a moment in your life where you are saved. You give your heart to Jesus. For me, I was 12. Desiree, you were... 25. 25. 25. So there's points. That's where we make a decision for Jesus. That's when salvation comes to our life. The incorruptible seed of God's word goes into our heart, right? So you're saved. Say saved. But the interesting thing, the Bible says, we're not just once saved, we are being saved. So we're being saved. So God saves us, but then we're being saved. So we don't become perfect the moment we give our heart to Jesus. I'm sure you found that out. Um, if you didn't, ask your wife or your family, because they will tell you the reality. We don't actually become perfect, but God wants to help you. He wants to save you. He wants to help you with the areas of vulnerability. He never points the finger. He actually comes under you to help you to change. And He will give you room. He'll give you time. But God's Word is about changing the brokenness of our humanity. That's what he's about. And so when you come into the book of Nehemiah, you pick up an interesting story where there's Jerusalem and uh, many of the people of Jerusalem that lived there, they were taken into captivity. One of those men, uh, was uh, uh, men's name was Nehemiah. He was taken into captivity. There were a few people who, who, who escaped captivity. They lived in Jerusalem that escaped captivity, but Nehemiah didn't. And so there was a man, he came from Jerusalem, just to give you an idea of the story. He came from Jerusalem and Nehemiah said, oh, tell me, tell me about Jerusalem. Tell me about the city I love. And the man replied and he said, well, the city's really exposed. I said, its walls are broken down, its gates are burned with fire. He said, we're really exposed to the enemy. We have no protection. And the moment Nehemiah heard it, The Bible just says, if you read chapter one, that he became very burdened. 
And in fact, he went into praying and fasting. We're not going into it, but he was so burdened because he knew the city he loved was exposed to the enemy because the walls were broken down, the gates were burned with fire. And so he, he became very, uh, very distressed by what he heard. And in many ways, having traveled all around the world and seeing a lot of Christians, that can be true of a lot of Christians, a lot of believers. They sincerely love Jesus. Like Jerusalem, they love, they love, they love the presence of God. But, but really, their, their Christian lives are vulnerable. They're exposed. And they feel exposed. They feel exposed to the enemy. They feel, uh, you know, a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians going through the waves of depression. They feel exposed. A lot of people go through the exposures of identity. They feel exposed. There's no security. It's almost like they're vulnerable. The enemy can get in and still attack them in the areas that God wants to change them in. He wants to help them. And uh, I want to speak into that because Nehemiah, the word Nehemiah means consoler or comforter. You can look it up. And the greatest consoler comforter is the Holy Spirit. And Nehemiah is a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit and his ability and his desire to actually help us build these walls of salvation so that we become, we're protected from the hand of the enemy, trying to rob us and destroy and take away our identity, take away God's purpose. Because can I declare to you today, Jesus works. The gospel works. The gospel is not a mystery. The gospel is our salvation. God changes people. God wants your marriage to work. God wants your life to work. God wants you to have purpose. He wants you to have destiny. He wants you to prosper. He wants you to be in health. That's the God I love. Amen. And, and we need to understand that we're not just talking about a belief system. We're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ that's been expressed to us that we've responded to. And now he wants to change your life so that your life has meaning. It's got destiny. It's got purpose. It's got vision. You've got prosperity. He's dealing with the areas of the brokenness in your humanity. And so that you can stand up. It's not just a belief system. Come on, it's a relationship. And we need to understand that God has not, doesn't just have a relationship that's external. He's put His presence, the incorruptible seed. He's actually deposited in your life and my life the very seed of change. So He's not asking you to change without Him helping you to change. Isn't that good? So He's not asking you to do anything. He's not condemning you. He's saying, no, no, I'm in you. I'm going to help you to change. And I believe it's so important that, that, that Christians get a hold of this because otherwise what we do, as I've said, we come into church and we walk out condemned. Well, I've got these, we should have bigger chairs, but it's just easier to work with these little fellas. But I want you to imagine, I'm going to build a wall around me. Amen. This wall is going around me. I'll move this over here. And this wall is going to be really important because the wall is about my protection. It's about my, my future. And this little chair, I know he's a little chair, but just imagine he's this high. Okay, so it's a little chair. <laughs> but the first, first part of the wall we need to build in our life is self-worth. If you look around Jerusalem, there were 12 gates, and those gates were connected by walls. 
And one of the gates was a water gate. And the water gate was where the provision of water came in to help Jerusalem. They had no internal source, so the water had to come from an external basis. So it was called the water gate. All water came through that gate. That's where, that's where the water came to help people to satisfy the thirst and the needs and their provision in the city. It came through the water gate. Many other gates had names. And those gates, names were symbolic of what would come in and what would go out. One was called the East Gate. You can still see that if you go to Jerusalem today, it's there. And, and so those gates were important. The East Gate is where Je Jesus went out. And they say this is the gate that he will return through when he comes uh, back to earth. And, and so they're important gates. So, so the water gate was a, an important gate. And, and another gate was called the Dung Gate if you want to be more contemporary, it's called the crap gate. If you wanted to be more illustrative, you might put an S there somewhere and build your word. Um, but it was a gate, you know, just to be colourful, it was a crap gate. And it's where all the, all the sewage left. It's where it, it had to go out through that gate. It could never go out the water gate, couldn't go out the east gate. It always had to go out the crap gate. It's called the dung gate. Uh, and you can look it up in the Bible. I'm being very biblical. That's where, that's where it exited. And, you know, in yours and my life, we have things that we deal, we, we're confronted with in our own personality that we've got to get rid of. And, you know, sometimes those things, are, they're easy to identify because they're the, the sins that we can identify. It could be lust. It could be pornography. It could be, you know, a whole lot of different issues like that, lying, cheating, they're, they're easily identified. But I find, you know, I'm 69 in a month, been a Christian since I was 12, and I've found actually I still repent quite a lot. But I, it's not, I'm not repenting of lust, I'm not repenting of immorality, I'm not repenting of pornography, I'm not repenting of, of uh, lying, I'm not repenting of those, but I'm repenting of things, my mindsets that are actually destroying me from actually possessing what God wants. And, and I find that is, is equally as important now as when I was dealing with some of the struggles as a young Christian, a young man, uh, th those, those were areas that were pressures and I had to deal with. But today I've got different pressures. And what we've got to see in Christianity is, is we, th there's still got to be a gate of exit. Because otherwise you find your life gets, oh, I was, I was actually going to say very crappy. <laughs> but, but, but you understand that? It does. It gets very messy. And, and, and you've got to get rid of things that mess your life up. But you also need church because church is where God brings water into life. He nurtures the seed. He helps build you up for who you are. That's why Sunday morning church is important. This is not, you're the church in the week, but we come here so that the water of God's word can help us to nurture the incorruptible seed and equip us for what God has us to do. That's why it's not a religious thing you do. When you know the value of it, it actually helps to build you. It helps to establish you. And one of the areas I found uh, in the early stages of my Christian life was my identity. And I'll probably speak a little bit more about it tonight because I don't have time this morning. I think every person has insecurity. Every one of us. And especially when you're younger, we really struggle 
with who we are, what we're here for, and what we're called to do. Every single person. And sadly, a lot of older people never deal with it. And they're still living with insecurity. Comparison, uh, they don't know who they are. They feel as though they're a reject. They, 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 they've never dealt with who they are. And there's some powerful scriptures that help you to build your identity. I found when God was working on me, Isaiah 49 was really powerful, really important. It was a scripture, I think I prayed for something like three years, just so I felt more secure in who I am. But Psalm 139, I think everybody should read. It's a powerful psalm because it says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And it goes on and it uses the same expression as 3 John 2. It says, this my soul knows very well. It's not, not just a belief system. It says your soul knows well. And so the, the, the prosperity of your life is determined by the well-being of your soul. And if you actually allow God, that's why I think Christianity is incredibly powerful because God knows your accurate identity. He knows who He made you to be. The devil's tried to blur it. He's tried to corrupt it. He's tried to destroy it. But one of the intentions of God through salvation is to restore it. And what we've got to do is we've got to build a wall so we're not running around being people we're not called to be. And it goes on, it says, uh, in, in Psalm 139, just doing it by memory, it just says, how precious are God's thoughts towards you. Isn't that amazing? How precious are God's thoughts towards you. I'm not sure of your name, but God would say, how precious, this girl, what's your name? Anna. Anna, how precious are God's thoughts. Now you catch this, Anna, because this is powerful. How precious are God's thoughts towards you. He said, if you could count them, they would be more numerous than the sand of the seashore. Now that's almost impossible to count. But that is the sum total of how precious God's... So God's not looking down and saying, Anna, you clown! (laughs) Isn't that good to know? But he's actually looking down and think, wow, Anna, my thoughts towards you. And they're so numerous that you can't even count them. (laughs) And when you understand that, it helps you to build a wall of salvation that's able to protect who you are and who God's made you to be. And and for me, I look back at my Christian journey and I just say, praise God for that. Amen. I don't need to be anybody I'm not. I don't have to struggle with my identity. I know who I am. I know more what I called to God. It doesn't mean to say I'm not going to be challenged but I feel more secure with who I am. I don't need to be anybody else. Amen? And today in the society we live in, you know, there's just all these images. People are trying to live up to an image. They're trying to live up to a pop star image or, uh, you know, the media image. They they create the platform. and, and, And it's freaky. Because you can't do that. And I wouldn't want to be them anyhow because they all die early. They either die of an overdose of drugs or whatever. And everybody's trying to copy something that's unreal. But the best thing you can ever do, the best gift you can give yourself is be yourself. (laughs) Amen? Be yourself. Don't try and be an imitation of someone else. I don't know whether you've been to karaoke, but there's a lot of karaoke Christians. 
And I tell you what, they sound very drunk. <laughs> They're not being true to themselves. They're singing a bad song, or a good song bad, um, because they're not really singing their song. Uh, and the next wall is your moral compass. And everybody needs moral well-being. God made you to have moral well-being. Pornography, and I'm being honest with you, pornography will never, ever make you happy. It's an addiction that will control you to destroy you. And another thought, which you need to take note of, if you know, you're in this room, is you will never, say never, never. satisfy the animal of lust. Never. It will always crave for more. And it will not make you happy. You'll, get, you, you'll think you've gained, but you'll never gain. You'll never win. And that's why God has established us and he wants to build into us a moral compass because the moral compass actually helps you. It, 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 it brings all your sexual well-being into health. And that's what God does. And we need to understand that because that's how God works. In a modern society, people are thinking that the old Christian values are outdated. I'm declaring today they're not outdated. They need to be proclaimed because right now we're living in a world that has lost all forms of moral reality and society is being destroyed by it. And we actually need to come back to what I call good moral Christian values. Amen. And sometimes you might slip over. Come on, God's thoughts towards you are good, precious. He'll pick you up again. But what he has is a plan for you to live a moral, healthy life. How many like that? That was good preaching. Come on, that was good preaching. I don't get my little chairs around. My wall's not very big. The next one that we need to build is health. God is interested. The Bible says the moment He redeems you, you become a temple of His Holy Spirit. He's not only interested in your soul, but He's interested in your health, your well-being. And we've got to look after our body. We've got to look after what God has redeemed. He says it's a temple of the Holy Spirit and we need to look after it. I'm not extreme in this. I think the Bible says we need, you know, a little exercise, but spiritual exercise is more important. But we do need to exercise and we need to, to look after our body. Uh, and I, I must admit, you know, traveling, I can't say I'm always eating the right things and I've got to govern, I've got to protect. And if I go to my doctor, she would say I'm probably seven kilos overweight and uh, that needs to come off. And I hate her for when she says it because she is a South African and she says it in a South African voice and she's very straight and I feel really rebuked and she's the only one that can rebuke me. <laughs> and I feel guilty because I know I'm wrong. <laughs> Amen. Anyone know what I feel like? <laughs> And so I did a health check. I called my warrant of fitness last year, went to her, and she did all the things that need, blood tests, everything. And then I went to a cardiologist. Why? Because I want to last if I can. Come on, I want to do all I can to run the race that God's called me to do and not fall over because I haven't looked after myself. Amen? And I believe we've got to look after our health. Uh, one of the areas that uh, I've really read a lot about recently is sleep. And if you're struggling with sleep, 
Come on, God's given you sleep. When you sleep, they actually say your brain is replenishing, it's rebuilding. It's part of your sleep. That's why you sleep. And uh, if you've been deprived of sleep, uh, it's probably one of the areas they say these days medically is the greatest cause of Alzheimer's disease because you're not allowing your build to replen- uh, your, build, your mind to replenish itself while you sleep. That's what happens when you're sleeping. And they say a cloud goes over that part of your brain because you haven't let yourself, uh, God, replenish that part of your brain. And so if you're, you're struggling with sleep, habits, get someone to pray for you and believe that God's going to give you good. Most people need, they say the minimum is six hours, if not up to eight hours. You've got to get your zone. I think my zone is about seven, but you've got to know your zone and you've got to know where you operate best and you've got to find that, but it's an important part of health. The next one is your financial prosperity. God wants you. It doesn't matter your background. God wants you to prosper. He wants you to have finance. You cannot be a blessing to others while you're in poverty. Can't. And and I'm a strong believer in helping people to prosper. All my kids, as quick as I could help them, uh, they've got their own homes, their own own homes. They've established, they're building well. Why? Because I taught them. When, When they were young kids, I gave them pocket money. And I said, I've forgotten how much I gave them, but I think it was a dollar. But that was a long time ago. But I gave them a dollar and I said, come on, 10 cents of that's Jesus's. And right from the beginning, my kids learned to put 10 cents into the storehouse. Then they got a paper run and 10% went into the storehouse. And you know, I've watched them. They've never, ever questioned or struggled with tithing. Never. And if you look at them, they are amazingly generous because they learn as kids to be givers. And because of that, today, they're all prospering. They're doing well. They, they're in a great space, and I believe we've got to teach people. My, my belief, how many of these we got? Yeah, well, I think we've got seven. They're pretty small. My belief is, in New Zealand, my belief in New Zealand, my belief is we should all believe to get our own home. That's my belief. I'm not saying you have to. If God says you don't, don't worry about it. But, you know, why not own your own home? Put your hand up. Why not own your own home? Come on. Why should you live in someone else's house? (laughs) Why can't you prosper? Do you know it's only a mind attitude? You say, I can't afford to. No, no, that's mind. You can't afford not to. (laughs) Come on, I'm challenging, I'm provoking you. Money only serves what God wants. And it's the ability to change your mind so that you can apprehend what God wants. Wants and God can turn up in supernatural ways way beyond what you could comprehend because that's how He works. We're up to these small chairs I'm bending over, up to relationships. I'll probably deal with this one a little wee bit more tonight, but relationships are a vital part of yours and my existence. No one is called to live in isolation. No one. None of us. When I was in um, uh, living in the UK, living in London, remember reading an article in the, in the paper and it talked of a lady who had lived by herself. She had really lived, uh, no contact with anybody uh, over the years and she was, um, they, she died and no one knew she died. They only found out a couple of days after her death 
and they went into a home and a home was just, it was horrible. And they actually had to get specialists to come in and clean it up. And as they were cleaning it up, they actually came across a certificate that was hanging on the wall. And this certificate, they found out, was given to her by her father 40 years ago. And the certificate was actually a share certificate. And she just put it on the wall, a memory of her father. And she died a destitute. But on a wall was a share certificate which was worth £44 million. (laughs) And she never knew it. And I think there's a lot of Christians live like that. They live in destitute, relationally, financially, but they never know the certificate that's been given by their father. Amen? Come on, tap, tap into it. Tap into what God's got for your life. And often what we do is we don't let God heal some of the relationship breakdowns. And we all have excuses. Oh, but you don't know my story. Everyone's got a story. Everybody in this room's got a reason to be hurt at some point in your life, whether it's a boyfriend or girlfriend who rejected, left you, or something's happened. Every single person has got a reason. Uh, In church, the number of people who don't attend church today and they watch it on TV as a Christian is frightening. Because church was never, ever, Jesus never created church for people to live in isolation. He created church to actually bring the best out of you. And the only way he can bring the best out of you is put people around you who irritate you. (laughs) Anyone know? Do you know what I've heard? Come on, it's it's the rubbing, it's the irritation. But, But we don't like it, so we want to run away from it. And we want to be free from it. But yet it's the very thing that God wants to use to develop you. And what we do is we get offended, you know. But really, that's the very thing you've got to work on. But if you let hurt and offense get into your spirit, the very thing that God has allowed, now you're being robbed of because you're not developing on the relationship. I might touch back on that a little bit more tonight. So we got up to relationship. How many of these? One, two, three, four, five, six. Meant to be seven. So the next one is your career. Everyone in this room has got a specific call. You're called to. God, from the beginning of time, He knew you, He created you, He's destined you, and He's basically put something in the seed when you were born again of what He wants you to do. He wants you to have an impact on earth. He's designed you. He knows the gifts of grace. He knows God's purpose. He knows what you're called to do. Amen. Everyone. I know I'm now called, I didn't know this in the early days, I know I was called as a preacher. I know I've been called to impact nations of the world. God has brought that out. But before I was saved, I didn't know that. But then as I've linked in with this incorruptible seed, I've found out what the divine call is on my life. And the more I work in it, the happier I am. The happier I am. I just feel replenished. I can do I can do things that I think other people would fall over and die. Why? Because I'm in my zone. Come on, I'm in my grace zone. 
I'm in my grace zone. You, you wouldn't want me to be Jake with a hand uh, over that thing in your hand, you know, dentist, because I would just go like that, you know. I'd destroy you, go through your gum and everything. Because <laughs> my nickname's Bulldozer. I'm not gentle. <laughs> so, so you wouldn't want me doing that. And I'm not called to do that. But everybody's got a specific, distinct call. My second youngest son's a preacher, but my oldest son's an architect. And he knows that's what God's called him to do. He knows that's his career. That's his sweet spot. He loves it. He loves working at it. And we've got to find, you know, I believe that God wants successful businessmen. He wants successful lawyers. He wants successful mothers. He wants successful uh, people in all forms of society. Politicians. He wants people to succeed who love church, but know when they walk out those doors, their call, their career is of God, and they are equally as important as Willie. And I'm not putting down Willie. Everybody, everybody in this room, you have got a distinct call. You've got a distinct vision. God's got a mission for you. He's got things that he wants you to fulfill. And it's so important that we find out what those are because God has put them in there from the beginning of time. And what this incorruptible seed does is help you to identify them. Amen. So never, ever miss out. There's a boy, um, I don't know whether you follow the warriors, but there's quite a few warriors in the Auckland church. But one of them is David Fussitur. And he plays for the Warriors. I dedicated him as a baby. He's growing up in church. He feels right now his mission, his call is to sport. And, and we encourage it. We don't say it's bad. We say it's good. Out of, because he's not just doing a physical, playing a physical game, he has brought to church, I think now, up to six Warriors who've got saved. That's his mission. It's his call. But so much of church has been focused around one area that we forget that God has put in the DNA of the seed something incredibly valuable. And the final wall is community. Community is really your connection or your relationship with other people. And I've touched on this already by saying how much we need one another. We need church. I need church. You need church. You can't live your Christian life in isolation. And today, Sunday really, in my view, is not an option. You don't wake up in the morning and think, oh, I'm too tired for church today. You wake up in the morning and say, wow, it's church day. I'm going to get watered. I'm going to get replenished. I'm going to serve in some dimension in the church. It's part of life. It's part of life. Why? Because as community, I get to connect. And, and, and I, I want to illustrate it. Perhaps you two, you two guys, Willie, and uh, perhaps Hannah, you come. And just, we'll, we'll just link hands. This is church. This is community. Not, no one of us. Man, praise God that I'm not leading the worship. <laughs> Probably Willie too. <laughs> But it's church. And everybody's got a different part and no one is complete. But when we understand the distinct gifts that God has put on each other, it makes it work. That's church. And I've only got five of us up here. But really, we could have everyone up here. Because that's church. Everybody adds in some way to the value of each other in community. It's, and just as well, you've got a grey head up here. Because it's old. And young. 
the older people need to value the young because they're probably the ones who are going to bring most people to church. So that's why we probably have music that us older guys enjoy, but probably we listen to our own music when we go home. (laughs) But we put up with it because the music's going to let our grandkids come and our kids come to church and still enjoy it. But if we've just got music that we like, well, the church is going to get really small very quickly. So we've got to cater. That's what it's about. It's about understanding it and working with it. And that's community, amen? And when you understand community, you grow with it. You understand the power of it. You understand the value of it. If it hurts you, it offends you, you get over your offense, you release people from your judgment because you know that community helps to protect who you are as a person. And no one in this room has got it all together. We need one another. We need other people with a different perspective, a different view, sometimes a different way of looking at things. And, uh, you know, I look over the years, uh, again, I've got four kids, and they're a lot older now, and many people know Sam because he's the pastor. But the one who probably helped me in church life the most was my son Hamish because he's the architect. He's got more of a critic eye to things, not critical, but because of the way he's trained, he makes objective views on things. And he would say, oh, Dad, what do you do that for? And he would even be, in the right way, a critic to my preaching. And he'd say, oh, you preach too long. And I would see him, you know, going back 20 years ago, he would sit around about where you are, and he would do this, time out. (laughs) 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 And then, but... I listened to him because he had a view that I felt I needed to listen to, right? And so I adjusted, and then he said something to me one day. I'm just about finished, Patrick. Come and play the keyboard. It helps me to wind up quicker, (laughs) I think. But he said to me one day, he said, oh, are you preaching this Sunday? I said, yeah, I'm preaching. He said, oh, good, I can bring a friend. Now, that I don't know, you're not a preacher, but that was powerful for me. Because really, in a way, he helped me to change so that I didn't change who I am, but I was able now to reach out to the people he wanted to bring to church. And I I believe every one of us, we've got to change. You've got to change who you are. You've got to let God bring out the best of who you are. You can't just get stuck. If you're older in this room, I think one of the good things about my life at the moment is that I am almost 69 and I can talk to older people. Please don't get boring. Don't get rigid. Don't get locked up. What motivates me is my grandchildren. I want them in church. I want them in church. So I'm going to do everything I can to make sure I can create a vacuum, a, a, a environment for my grandkids so that they'll love the house of God. So for me, church is not about me. It's not just about my preference. It's about creating an environment where my grandkids will come, my kids will come, other people will come, and they can find their expression. That for me is community. That's church. And when we understand that, we're able to go with it. Amen. 
But yet, you know what I've seen? I'm talking to the grey heads seem to be more here. <laughs> but I hope you don't mind me talking to you. Because what I've, what I've learned is that if you keep your heart young, people are going to love you. But if you, you become rigid, they won't want to come near you. But keep your heart young. And the last scripture in the Old Testament is that the hearts of the fathers will be turned to the sons and the hearts of the sons will be turned to the fathers lest I strike the earth with a curse. Powerful verse. But if you actually really analyse the verse, it just says this. The heart of the father moves first, not the son. A lot of older people say, oh, the younger generation don't respect older people anymore. I know why. You haven't turned your heart to them. You turn your heart to them, you understand their world, their environment. Not trying to impose or put your views on them. You watch how their heart will turn to you. And then things change. And I believe it's a real thing in life. That's community, that's church. Amen. And I, I, I just pray this church will be multi-generational with fathers who are older, reaching down to the hearts of young people, valuing them, not pushing them aside, but understanding their world. And all you have to do is just be an ear to listen. And you know, one day you might think, what was I like at their age? Has anybody ever asked that question? <laughs> what was I like at their age? What was I like as a 16-year-old? What was I like as a 20-year-old? What was I like as a 25-year-old? What was I like when I was fresh, newly married? Ask the question. Sometimes you get a frightening answer. <laughs> Amen. But today we're trying to put where we are now on a generation that still has to arrive. How about standing up with me? Just invite you right now just to stand in the presence of God. You might like to lift your hands. You might like to just respond. But I want you to just see that these little tears are little tears. But they're my wall. They're my wall. In between them is a gap. This gap is gates. It's where I let things come into my life that are going to help me. People, counsel, wisdom, come to church, other people helping me. But sometimes I just need to recognise there's a gate where stuff leaves. I get rid of stuff. But I can stand secure because I've got the gates. And every time I get rid of something, I, I can say, wow, I praise you, Jesus. Because these gates are gates of praise. When something helps me, wow, I thank you, Jesus. But when I've got these walls of salvation protecting me, I can go anywhere in the world. And even though the environment might be wrong, it can't touch me. Why those walls Amen. And that is God's plan of salvation for you. Thank you for tuning into this podcast. 
For more information, please check out our website at www.thecooperschurch.com forward slash Dunedin.